The future is now. Finding the NOSO has never been easier. Subscribe to us on our new YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and bookmark the new home for No Holds Barred, The Jenny Position, Wrestling War Zone, and all your favorite NOSO podcasts at NorthSouthConnection.com. It's New Year, New NOSO. NorthSouthConnection.com. Talk Connection Podcast Network. Listeners and viewers, welcome into Duty War. Myself, JT, along with my buddy Marcus, we are taking about as nerdy as a look as it gets at the history <laughs> of WWE wrestling, pay-per-view style. Buddy, how you doing? Good, man. Uh, yeah, summer's in full swing. Feeling uh, feeling the spirit of war with uh, baseball season going on. Naturally. Yeah, you're right. It is our season, World, isn't it? World Series is back on. Perhaps all in baseball. That's our season <laughs> right now. Uh, if you're watching, welcome to our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe while you're here. Leave a comment along the way. If you are listening on any of our podcast network uh, in a podcast application, we appreciate you there as well. If you want to watch, feel free to head over to YouTube. You can subscribe on any of those platforms, whether it be audio or video for this here show. Uh, we do have some video only content on the North South Connection. That's really cool. So be sure to check it out along the way. All right. Tonight, we are uh, continuing our journey through the year 2001 and the season 0102, Marcus. You excited? In the year 2001. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped. Um, this is just a season we talked about. It's like, um, you know, kind of like newer nostalgia. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they haven't completely fallen off yet from what I've seen in this project. You kind of wonder like when that dip from the Attitude Era, like the height of it really starts and um i don't know it may not be as hot as it was in like summer of 98 but you know it's 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 cool to see so far like the crowds are red hot the shows are really good like Mm -hmm. 
the ring, the in-ring work. Um, it, we have a fascinating kind of like split, I think, between like yeah. hangover of attitude era style and like this athleticism of the 21st century that's creeping in. So uh, we'll see how these uh, these next two shows uh, track for us. All right. Well, we uh, do everything here on a replacement level basis, plus and minus system. So if we kind of start with the idea that every match, every segment, everything involved in a pay-per-view is baseline replacement level anything that we think is above average we give one point to if it's below average we take a point away we tally all that up in the end and then we go ahead and assign that as a total final war score to every single pay-per-view we're watching in a seasonal format we start with the pay-per-view following wrestlemania and any given calendar year and we wrap up the wrestlemania the next year so the season started with backlash 01 ends with wrestlemania 18 we also grade every match two and a half is an average match if it's above that again you get kind of plus Below that, you get minus. We combine Marcus and I scores, and we tally that up as well. Uh, besides match grades, Marcus, what are the other categories that we look at for these shows? Yeah, we've got build, commentary, atmosphere, notable moments and importance, match grades like you talked about, uh, card structure, rewatchability, and all-time matches. And for us, an all-time match, for it to be in a plus category, is anything that we both agree is 4.25 and above. And for it to count as a minus, it is anything we both agree is 0.75 and below. Yes, sir. All right, why don't we go to get started? We're going to kick things off with Invasion. Took place July 22nd, 2001. I, I, gotta, I was actually thinking the other day, like, this has to be a rare Dota pay-per-view that only has one installment under the name. Like, right. we have Wrestling Classic... We got Invasion, Great Balls of Fire, uh, I guess Greatest Royal Rumble if you want to count the Saudi ones, but like there's probably not too many others, right, that are one and done. Fatal 4-Way maybe, but then it had the NXT Fatal 4-Way as a takeover. So Breaking Point, was that more than one? I think they had a couple. I think there might have been two. Yeah, there can't be many. Producer Tim's yeah. in here with us. Maybe you can poke around while we're recording let us know, but uh, this is the only Invasion. It uh, took place at the Gund Arena in Cleveland, Ohio. 17,876 in attendance, 775,000 buys. We started off on Sunday Night Heat with Chavo Guerrero representing the Alliance, defeating Scotty Tuati, representing the World Wrestling Federation. And the world has changed, Marcus. Like we talked about at King of the Ring in our last episode. Booker T showed up, uh, kind of made a statement. We know Shane owned WCW. And then it took place... The night after at MSG on Raw, where we kind of had the real kickoff of the evasion with Lance Storm showing up. Eventually had Hugh Morris and Mike Awesome uh, and different guys. There you go. Ryan Gray is listening in. He said this Tuesday in Texas, also one one and done. Chad says Summerfests. Uh, fucking Jerry Seinfeld. They're looking for real answers here, not jokes. Um, so the, the evasion really got into full gear following King of the Ring. They also did one of the all-time hot shots during that build-up to Invasion, uh, where ECW joined the fray uh, on Raw. The Dudleys and Kane uh, were about to have like a six-man or a tag, and uh, was it that man? Kane? I think it was that man Kane, right? Tommy Dreamer and Rob Van Dam show up in the from the crowd. They start to attack, and then the Dudleys turn. I think Rhino did Rhino turn in that segment too, perhaps. There, I think Taz might be in there. Raven. There's a few guys that that turned during that segment. Um, so they end up combining forces. <clears throat> they of course reveal that Stephanie McMahon purchased ECW. So now we got Stephanie and Shane. Uh, this is uh, succession before succession. Stephanie and Shane uh, going to war to uh, take over the WWF with Paul Heyman by their side. We now have the 
for for a brief blip, it was WCW ECW before becoming the Alliance um, to invade the WWF. So that really is what brought us up to this show. It's the first salvo. Uh, we'll talk more about the build when we get to the category. So let's get into the show. Throughout the night, they're kind of fighting for supremacy. Uh, there's no real official stakes to the show besides just like trying to, I guess, just hand losses to the other side and stay clean to being the, the premier promotion. Um, the Alliance obviously trying to make a real statement uh, here on the first night. So our opener is Edge and Christian defeating Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. Storm and Awesome weren't together uh, too long in WCW, right? They know they're both in Team Canada for a bit. Uh, they don't really play that up here, though. They're just kind of put together as a team. Again, I, you know, I thought this was a, a fine opener. Um, I don't think it was anything to super a home about, but it, the crowd was into it. Got things started. A solid match. I went three stars. It's kind of Edge and Christian's final hurrah as a mm. tag team, too, like on pay-per-view. Um, you know, they uh, had their issues at King of the Ring. SummerSlam, that continues, and then they're done. So this is really like their last... I think final probably tag team match on pay-per-view. Yeah, I think this is it for pay-per-view. Um, 2.75 for me. Um, really solid opener, and we're going to get a nice little stretch here of uh, Lance Storm and like opening matches um, are really early on the card, and um, he's a great addition to the roster. Um, but score that one for the WWF. Um, our it's next now match. Now 1-1 if you count. If you count Chavo's <laughs> big win. <laughs> Great contributor, Chavo Guerrero. Um, yeah. We've got a battle of head referees uh, as uh, Earl, baby Earl Hebner's taking on Nick Patrick. Um, this wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be. I went with a one, um, probably because Nick Patrick can work a little bit. Um, yeah, he's got experience. Felt, yeah, <laughs> sure. it still felt way longer than what it needed to be. I probably would have went like 1.5 if we got a uh, mullet and goatee Nick Patrick, but. That's not what we got. I wouldn't want as well. I, I wasn't the dud I would you would have expected. They kept it really tight too. And you still I think it was smart to do it early in the night when the crowd was kind of revved up and you really had the heat going for the for the war um before they get into the heavier stuff later. Book at Nick Patrick matches, Wrestling Warzone every other every other Monday here on uh, North South Connection. Chad and I are going through the history of the Monday Night Wars. We just got through Nick Patrick's big feud with Chris Jericho. Uh, but he's kind of officially in the NWO, so I'm sure we'll be seeing more of his nonsense as we move forward uh, all right producer tim sent us there's an article here that has 10 uh one time only pay-per-views i don't know if there's more on top of this but uh the 10 we got our fatal four-way breaking point valentine's day massacre that's a good one we didn't think of uh capital punishment uh tuesday in texas ryan said wrestling classic no holds barred i don't know if i count that one capital Match carnage uk only invasion and then great balls of fire so I'd call it eight. I wouldn't count the UK ones or an old board. Yeah. Oh, and that didn't have December just member, which Ryan also called out. Mm. So there you go. Nine. All right. Um, all right. Next up, we had the APA defeating Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo. Two and a half. This was disappointing to me. Like the APA get kind of a weird cap, dead cap bounce here during the invasion. Uh, I'd say that they've kind of had maxed out in 2000. I thought like as far as entertainment with the whole, um, card games and all that and the protection agency, but by all one, they kind of feel like remnants kind of and O'Hare and Palumbo are like two guys. You're kind of getting behind as you come in. Um, 
his promotion. Like O'Hare was really highly touted at the end of WCW. He was teaming with Sean Stasiak. Palumbo was with Mark Jindrak, and they kind of took the best of those two teams and put them together into WF with Palumbo and O'Hare. Uh, this felt like it could have been a nice statement for the young guys. Like, there's no reason to me that the APA had to go over here. I, th- I thought it was kind of silly uh, to have them defeat two of the guys that have the most promise. Young guys have the most promise coming in from, from WCW. Yeah, uh, two and a half for me. I agree with everything you said. Um, this definitely should have went to uh, Palumbo and, and O'Hare. Um, as a, I got a choo-choo train in the background here. Um, our next match is uh, X-Pac taking on Billy Kidman. And is this our... No, wait, wait. Uh, this isn't the title match. No. Um, yeah. I'm mis- mistaking it for the SmackDown match. But that's, uh, I mean, that's the thing. There's... There's like only one title match on this whole show, which right. we'll talk about, but that's going to also be rare for a non Royal Rumble 30th pay-per-view to have one title match on the whole show. At least modern, like not when there was only three titles back in the day. But I mean, yeah, you got so many belts floating around and only get the one title match, but uh, it is a battle of the uh, light heavyweight and cruiserweight champ. Uh, I went 3.25, uh, just a really above solid contest. Um, you think that this is like in the days of like X-Pac heat, but... I mean, he's still really good here. Yeah, he can still go. Three and a quarter for me, too. I, I X-Pac Key is one of my most hated terms and ideas ever. Like, I, I still liked him a lot during this time. He was still really good in the ring. It's I know I get people maybe a little burnt out on him. I think his allegiances to the click hurt him as well, like, in theory. Um, it was definitely prevalent. I remember talking to Kevin Kelly about this on the Old Place TV podcast when he was on the idea that X-Pac would always put dudes over on pay-per-view and then get his win back the next time on Raw in front of the bigger <laughs> audience. Like, that was a rumor at the time. Kevin poo-pooed that, but that was definitely a rumor at the time. Um, you know, I just, I think there was, like, this vibe of everyone just was obsessed with Benoit, Guerrero, Saturn, the ECW guy. Like, everyone just wanted to see those guys get pushed finally because they were held in elsewhere. And I think when some of them came in, and then you have the X-Pac still getting wins and kind of leading the Cruiserweight division when a lot of people felt like the WCW Cruiserweight division was always like the better Cruiserweight division. And we don't have Ray. We're not seeing Psychosis. We're not seeing Hoovy. We're not seeing, you know, Parker. Like, all the guys that kind of carried the WCW Cruiserweight division. And now over here is, like, still X-Pac winning. I think it's one of those things that hindsight feels better. Like, I didn't, it didn't bother me that X-Pac won here, that he was still around. Um so anyway, I always hated that term because I thought it was bullshit. Three and a quarter for that. Uh, next up, we have a very random match. Is William Regal uh, loses to Raven. Uh, I mean, this has to be like Raven's only freaking DODF win. I, I Actually, I think he beat. I don't know. Is this it? This might be his only DODF pay-per-view win um, that he ever had. I went two and a half. I was shocked that Regal lost this match. Like, I think you could have easily flipped these two results and had Palumbo and O'Hare beat the APA and then Regal go over Raven. I didn't see the need for Raven to win. You know, then only because I like Raven, but there's no way they're pushing him as a key member of the Alliance in 2001. It's just not going to freaking happen. Whereas Palomo right here actually had potential future. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, This felt like a match that was added just because um, they needed to get to like a certain match tally count. Um, Oh, they definitely. Two and a half for me. Um, Fine enough. Uh, Another match that kind of felt added for the sake of uh, a match. Well, it was four to two going into this next match. So you're right. I think we threw a couple of churn and burns out there just to give the Alliance some wins. (laughs) A couple, a couple softballs here. Um, 
We've got Big Show, Billy Gunn, and Albert taking on Sean Stasiak, Kenny, and uh, well, definitely not Hugh Morris. Um, I went uh, two and a quarter. Um, I really popped for the uh, Triple Gorilla Press. Um, that's right up my alley. Um, and they kept it moving too. It didn't. It didn't bog down. Um, it's only four. It's only four twenty. Um, yeah. So it's quick. Yeah. I mean, I went. I went to like. There's one thing that stands out for me from this match. Can you guess it? Um, how badly Humora sucks. Well, that's a given. No, okay. It's, it's big show and where he is in the company right now. Like we have this red hot angle. He was a major part of both sides, right? He was a mm. big part of WCW again, as we're talking about wrestling war zone. He's having an awesome 1996 there. Big part of the WF. He's been a world champion, main event at WrestleMania. Like big deal. And he's in literally the least important match on the card. Or at least maybe second least important. But I would probably put Regal Raven above this because Regal's commissioner. Um, and sadly, like, he doesn't stand out in the match. <laughs> like, like it's not like he, like, dominates everyone and, and crushes them. And he's like, I'm back. Like, use me, boss, you know? It's um, it's kind of sad, honestly, in a way. And I mean, him and Billy, you know, it's kind of the joke when Vince calls him double trouble crap on a stick or whatever he calls on Raw. I mean, they're both kind of aimless and going nowhere fast. Albert, you know, 01, maybe his best year, I guess. He's our Intercontinental Champion in this match. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like, Albert's IC Champion. Big Show is, like, the second most important person on this team. And they lose to Candy and Hugh Morris and Stasiak. It's like, no bueno. All right, so that makes it um, uh, four to three in the standings. That brings us to our next match, which is, I guess, another kind of surprising one. So Tajiri, who stays uh, with the WF, there was the tease, I believe it was the week before this, uh, where he came out with the ECW shirt, and then he ends up helping Regal, rips off the ECW shirt for his WF shirt, and hugs Regal to a big pop. But that was at the, I believe that's at the show I was at in Providence that we're going to talk oh. more about after. Um and that was a cool moment because Regal had been building this bond with Tajiri, who was kind of his like servant or lackey in the in the office all the time. And it seemed like he was like using Tajiri, but they kind of built this bond up. And um, so when Tajiri stays with Regal, it was like a really cool moment that he stood by him. So um, the match itself again is fine. Like I, w- I went three stars. It's only five and a half minutes. We just we don't get enough out of Taz during this run. So like this is something that could have been really cool and a show stealer, but they go five and Taz is quickly reaching the end of the rope as far as mobility and you know, I think he's just too broken down by this point. Yeah, we're in full uh orange and black sweatpants and mechanic shirt Taz, which I think is a cool look, but it's it's a weird look for Taz. Um is this Taz's I went three on this match as well. Um, but a real quick aside, is this Taz's second best WF match. What's his first angle? Angle, I think. I mean, that's a squash show, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> what do we have that on our? Uh, I can check uh, quick. Oh, I'll look quick. Um, so that was Rumble 2000, and we both went three. <laughs> okay, so we have it even with this. That's yeah, wild. I mean, it's probably his best match in the WF, I guess. We'll see. We got a, we got one coming up later in the season. The tag. We'll see how that holds up mm. at the Rumble. But otherwise, yeah, there's not a lot of cooking here. It's a, it shows you like there's this weird dichotomy of depth and presentation right now. Like 
they have crazy depth. Like Taz could have been a believable member of the main event for sure. Easily. Like they could have heated him up and put him in there, but they're so deep that he doesn't fit. But then on the flip side, he's not presented in any way that's serious enough either. So it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. He's some, uh, almost like an inverse of big show, uh, yeah. on the Alliance side of things. Uh, what well, we have a uh, pay-per-view debut for us as uh, we get our first look at Rob Van Dam taking on Jeff Harvey, Jeff Hardy. And this is our title match of the evening. It is a hardcore title match. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Hardy enters his champion, but it is RVD who leaves his champion. This is the dude's rock match of the evening for me. Um, I almost went the full five, but um I went with 4.75 and I feel like a bit of a coward um, blown away, which is mm-hmm. how impressive this match was um, not just from like, um, like, you know, creative spots or uh, spectacle, but like the way that they're able to use kind of the stunts to enhance the brutality is something that's like lost, I think in today's kind of um, athletic style. I mean, these guys are, are sending the contact. There's some brutal spots. The weapon shots are are nasty. Uh, everything's high impact. Um, and it just feels like we got shot into the 21st century uh, mm-hmm. getting a look at RVD here. Yeah, I went 12 and a half minutes. I went four and a half stars. It's awesome. It's, it's messy. It's like, I don't want to call it clunky because it's not, but it's like, it's not polished, which is fun. It's a fun fight and it's an rvd style fight i think it might be one of the closest we get to like kind of a like actual ecw style like rvd match we may get um you get his awesome like janky theme music before one of a kind is polished again it's like that you know it's very heavy song um you come out of the show outside of the main event everything on the undercard you come out of the show thinking like that dude's the biggest star of the night i mean he felt like it he delivered if you had only heard about him and not seen him, you see this, you're like, oh, I get it. Um, yeah, it was like a great mix of aerial and garbage stuff. I think it was like a star maker for Jeff Hardy, too, who's kind of sneakily been breaking out a little bit. He had the match with Triple H that I think was pretty good on Raw or SmackDown, whatever the IC title match was. Yeah, both of them. Um, yeah. So, like, that was kind of creeping in. And, uh, you know, I think everyone always saw him being as the, the Sean of the Hardys, right? So, um, they were kind of waiting for it. And, you know, they gave him a pretty big chance here, like to be the guy to fight RVD, like that could have went to a bunch of other people, but luckily for him, they were all in the main event. So they end up giving him the highest profile spot outside of that that top match. So four and a half for sure. Uh, all right. Up next, we had our uh, women's Fiesta. Lita and Trish Stratus defeat Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler. We give it a five because Stacey now. Uh, I went two stars here. It was fine. Uh, probably above average, honestly, for what you would expect. Like, Trish hadn't really taken that leap yet. It's coming in the season, but uh, Lita, I guess at the time, was probably the best of the four, which tells you where the baseline is. Uh, Tori and Stacey hadn't done a ton of wrestling in WCW. They're kind of thrown right into the mix here, WDF style. Um, you know, this is fine. I think breather, it's five minutes. I think to stick it between the RVD, Jeff Hardy car crash, and then before we get all amped for the main event was a good placement, and the crowd was into it. I mean, you could probably argue, depending on how you feel with Lita, like the hottest women's wrestling match of all time, as far as like <laughs> pure beauty. Um, WF and WF, anyway, I should say. Maybe if you swap Maurice in there, you're 
talking top four. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 2.25 for me. I thought for having like three non wrestlers um, and then Lita in there as well. Um, it was good. And then I think having Foley in here also helped a little bit, gave it a little bit of a, a bump in the engagement of the crowd. Um, yes. I think we also forgot to mention that Foley was the ref for the yep. uh, Hebner Patrick match too. So yeah, it was a uh, fine so, use of him. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think that two uses of Foley like seemed excessive either. Um, so they did a good job with that. And uh, JT, that takes us to our main event of the evening. It is the inaugural brawl. Uh, the big five on five as we have the hottest uh, male wrestler match of all time. Uh, possibly take uh, we have the team WWF of uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, our World Wrestling Federation champion, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, and then Undertaker and Kane taking on DDP, Booker T, Rhino, and those Dudley boys. Uh, the damn Dudleys, the wizards of the wicked wood. <laughs> Thank God that's died. <laughs> that, that lived a quick life. Backlash it over. <laughs> uh, fast and hard, yeah. Um, but Booker T, DDP, uh, the whole WCW, ECW team pick up the win uh, as we get a shocking turn as Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, breaks up the ankle lock being applied by Kurt Angle, I think on a DDP. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, gives him the stunner. And uh, that secures the win for the uh, the yet to be named alliance. Uh, this was a really good like star power kind of spectacle, big tag match that WWF is like has a yep. reputation of being really good for. And I think this is one of those matches you can point to early on uh, where they really uh, succeed with that. So four and a half for me. I thought it burned really hot heading into the finish too. Um, yeah. It felt like everybody organically got their spot in to kind of take them out of the picture without it being of like, okay, now this guy's in, this guy's in, this guy's in like waterfall style. Um, they got to it really well. So four and a half for me. Four and a half for me too. One a half hour. It doesn't feel like it. Um, it's it's one of the best to me, like star power matches that they've ever done. Um, everyone feels like a big deal. They all get shine. They give it a lot of time. The crowd is hot. The stakes to it. Um, I'm not gonna put it up there with Canadian Stampede, but it's like in that lineage. Like Stampede is obviously much better, but it's I don't even say much. It's better, but this is like in the stratosphere as far as um, when you factor stakes and name power that's in there i love that they put rhino in this match uh you know coming off he was the last ecw champion so it makes ecw feel important really ecw is three-fifths of this team um when you look at team the wcw part of it, it's booker t and ddp which is kind of crazy too when you think about it like i, I think you could argue uh, i guess i guess the ddp is probably the biggest star on the team and then the dudleys i guess i don't know at this I point think, i think booker like booker was really hot um at the end of WCW. WCW. Yeah. But I mean, like, pure star power. I think the Dudleys are probably bigger names than Booker at this point. Yeah, it's probably the, probably the Dudleys. DDP is probably the biggest because he was so big in the NWO feud. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a unique team. And, and I think what will be interesting is in a few episodes when we get to Survivor Series to see the differences in the two teams, who they perceived as the big top five stars on each side, right? Um, because I don't think anyone from this heel team is in the Survivor Series match. Uh, Booker, uh, Booker is. Booker is the only one, yeah. I think. The Dudleys are elsewhere. Rhino was hurt, I believe, by that point. And then mm-hmm. DDP is definitely nowhere near that level. So it tells you the way they shift the balance and the power heading into Survivor Series that like DDP wouldn't even sniff. He might not even made a top 10 of the Alliance by Survivor Series. Um, like I said, I was at that Raw the week before where Austin leaves the... 
uh, friendly tap and comes in with the pool cue and destroys the whole alliance. One of my favorite live moments ever. Just like friggin' batshit insane in the crowd. Um, I remember just chanting for Austin leaving the building. Like everyone was just losing their minds. It was just pure chaos. It was awesome. Um, and you felt cool going into this. I, I hated it at first when it happened. Because um, I really liked the Austin leading up to this was really good. With with uh, Vince and Angle, we talked about a King of the Ring. And I thought already they were like... I think I just convinced myself that the Alliance may remain... They may actually make this... I don't want to say pure, but like... Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin was such a WWF thing. To see Stone Cold with the Alliance didn't like resonate with me. Like It seemed like, alright, so it's just going to be two WWF guys. I think they do a good job like giving him reasons to why he does it and you know, making it stand out. But I think it init- it immediately took the vibe of the invading forces away. Because yeah. this is the guy that's been on top of the company. Why would he want to go back to the companies that fired him? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it didn't make sense uh, to me at first. So I was kind of like, eh. I remember being lukewarm on the turn. I think someone like Jericho would have made more sense to turn. Uh, because you could argue he was more recently with WCW. And he could claim he's been hosed in ODF like all the time. He hasn't been given the chance that he felt he deserved. So I think like him turning would have made the most sense of those five that are in there. But um, we'll talk more about it. So four and a half for me. So that gives us a total war score of four, which is, I would say, right on the cusp of good for our match grades. I think when you get to five and above, it's like a great show in ring. So this is a solid show in ring. Let's get to our plus minus categories here so uh, first we have build we gave uh we ended up going the full three uh for those new to the show we give a, a max of three points for something that we think is great kind of one's the minimum um invasion uh firing up ecw wcw emerges they finally kick off this war the turn on raw with the with the ecw guys going this initial build into it uh, is is it's an all time storyline? Whether it works or not in the long run, it's an all time storyline that deserves it. Um, so, like I was gonna like you were doing the next one. All right, so that's a plus three, uh, plus one for the carryover of Nick Patrick still being crooked from WCW. Uh, we went plus two again on the old Stone Cold pool cue brawl. Freddie Blassie gives a speech. You know, Vince, we need the old Stone Cold. He's begging him to come back. And then Austin comes back and just cleans house with the pool cube. Stand up. Classic. Stand up. Uh, A point for APA rallying the troops, leading to a big tag team war on the build. A point for Regal staying loyal to the Dirty F and to Jerry backing him up. A point for the women's match, uh, which had some solid build despite the gimmick. Kind of forces Lita and Trish to come together despite feuding. Basically turns Trish face. Uh, a point for the weekly. I, I mean, she kind of was face at the end of the Vince thing, but kind of solidifies it. A point for the weekly debuts of WCW talent as well. Stacey, Jindrak O'Hare, RVD, awesome. Like all the debuts that kept rolling on TV. So a lot, a lot of pluses in the build here. Yeah. Um, how happy do you think Undertaker was to be able to like play war? Um, he, seemed, <laughs> oh, yeah. he seemed really thrilled during that segment. Um, for our awful, minuses, <laughs> uh, we've got uh, the WCW ECW merger was really rushed overnight. Uh, you burned through a lot of stuff uh, just to get That's there a big one. Uh, in That's one a big week. One. Yeah. yeah. Um, Stephanie being brought in uh, with ECW and introducing her into the storyline went with a minus two. Uh, well, that's a lot of random. That. That's for all the burn and Stephanie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like that was like that could have been months of storylines. Like mm-hmm. ECW forums that kind of 
in between causing havoc, getting involved in stuff, Heyman stirring the shit. And then maybe eventually W like Shane goes to them and says, Hey, like, you know, can we link up? We could use the extra troops. We'll make it worth your while. May they come together. Like that could have told a story for a while and they burned it like within, you know, weeks, like real hot shot. Yeah. I mean, you could have WF win here and then that gets WCW to bring in ECW. Right. Cause yeah. they realize they need more help. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of random matches due to the, uh, the hustled setup of the show. Uh, refute yeah, kind of lame. Uh, DDP kidnapping Deborah. Um, all the absurdity that followed with that. Uh, Dreamer is already being treated like a bum. Wearing the uh, might as well just be wearing the brand uh, pay per view <laughs> t shirt. <laughs> well, Not on the show after his big debut. Him and RVD were like the big boom of like the ECW showing up, and then he's not even on the show. Like yeah. you couldn't stick him instead of fucking Hugh Morris and that six man, or maybe have Dreamer <laughs> come out with RVD at ringside here or something, and they usher him back because he's crazy or something like that. Like jump out of the crowd and they force him away. To like not yeah. even be on the well, show after all that. Even um, yeah. RVD hits Matt Hardy with the chair backstage. It could have been Dreamer, you right? Know? Like yes. it could that could have been Dreamer taking out Matt Hardy. Yeah, and right. and then you have RVD and Jeff Hardy one on one. Yeah, I agree. Or do Dreamer Matt on the on the Heat instead of Chavo and Scott? Yeah, you know, I could have done that too. All right, so Chavo. that's a plus three for builds uh, overall. Uh, commentary, uh, it, so we, we didn't mention it, but the commentary team here is Jim Ross and Michael Cole because, you know, Heyman was, had jumped like two weeks before or whatever, so he's with the Alliance. They haven't built it into the story that he was going to commentate, so Cole steps in. So it's, it's kind of a weird team, but they do a good job overall focusing on the importance and threats of the night, so a point for that. A point for um, them explaining why X-Pac is the only guy getting booed on the WWF side. They do a good job talking about that. Uh, they don't hide from it. A point for the good talking points about Heyman's Kool-Aid uh, luring these ECW guys back on the hook after the company are finally ending. They're still kind of buying into his bullshit. A point for Ross calling Heyman a bovine, which made me pop. Uh, and a point for Ross uh, bringing up the accolades of WCW talent that happened in WCW. So he's not shying away from it, even though he's pro WF. He's still putting over guys and what they did in WCW. Yeah, that was cool to see, and that's going to continue um, as we continue on this season. That was a nice surprise. Uh, for our minuses, oh, we got plenty here with Cole in the booth. Um, Cole in the booth instead of Heyman. <laughs> that's uh, a point. Just to start, um, Cole says coalition like 100 million times on the show. I remember this summer, it's either coalition or co-conspirators, like Michael Cole just says a million times on TV. Uh, JR and Cole coming off as creepy during the women's match. Um, no surprise there. No matter how hard the try the um, – the women are working no matter how hard uh, Cole and Jr. are trying uh, not to be creepy. They just can't avoid it. Uh, Cole sounds like he's calling the show in post-production all night uh, with his sound bites. Um, sounds like he's on uh, metal or jacked at this time. Uh, and Cole stating that the uh, stating like the super obvious all night with nothing mm-hmm. really to add. Like when the crowd's like cheering for Foley, he'll be like, oh, the crowd is chanting for Mick Foley. Like <laughs> we can hear that. Right. We like, why are you pointing out those kind of things? It's just like stuff like that that Jim Ross like would never do. All right, so that's a wash on commentary. It brings us to a zero atmosphere. We get a point for the switching from fully loaded to invasion to like put over the event and angle. They were calling it fully loaded for weeks, you know, red herring fake out, but they could have kept it fully loaded and just said WCW versus WF, but they knew by branding it as such, it made it feel like a much bigger deal. So a point for that. A point for the memorable entrance way to get the split entrances, the pit in between. They had something mm-hmm. they'd never really done in the WWF, so that was cool. 
Uh, a point for the red hot crowd in Cleveland and do it if New York to set up the show uh, kind of gets the night rolling the pro do it if crowd. So I feel like a home field advantage. Um, they even pop for Hebner. So we gave it three for the crowd all night in both locations. One point for the huge pop for Foley, a point for the X factor theme. We'll always get a point from us. Get everything ever wanted. Never get that back. Uh, one point for the one Billy Gunn theme. Also <laughs> always get a point here. Uh, a point for Rob Van Dam's pop. Just mega over already. A point for the bot. The crowd is super hot for the Brown panties match. Uh, a point for the inaugural brawl. All the entrances hit are on point. The reactions, the unique rotating of team entrances. We actually gave a two for that. So the crowd, this crowd was fantastic. Um, they'll be, be up there with one of the best of the season for sure by the end of it. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, for our minuses, we've got uh, Xbox being the only WWF guy that doesn't get a monster pop. Uh, the crowd chanting boring for Raven and Regal. And then uh, our poor, uh, the one Billy Gunn. Uh, gets a less than favorable reaction from the crowd. All right, so that's a plus nine for atmosphere. So big score there. Notable moments and importance. We gave a point for Edge and Christian's final pay-per-view tag match. Three points for all the pay-per-view debuts. Again, if you're new here, uh, we give a max of three. So when there's more than three debuts on a show that are important, we just give the max three. So even if there's like four, five, six, uh, three is the most you can get for uh, debuts. We gave a point for Kidman getting his first uh, win, his first big moment on WF TV. A point for Taz and Raven having a chance to rebuild and reestablish their win, their union together. Uh, a point for the dominant win by RVD under the pay-per-view. It's a big statement. He's clearly a star on the rise. And a point for Austin turning uh, and joining the coalition, as they're called on the show. Um, so big storyline advancement there. We've got Jindrak and Stasiak getting dissed by WWF, uh, taking Palumbo and Hare instead to focus on. Uh, Palumbo and Hare then lose to uh, the APA, who feel like relics, like you talked about. Um, big Show Rex the WCW Job Squad after their big win. And then, of course, Sarah Undertaker calling Undertaker Mark. So that's a plus four overall for moments. I mean, you know, we talked about a show being meaningless. I guess he did wreck the team, but that made it even worse. Like, like mm -hmm. why even have them win for, the, for him to crush them after? Um, all right, match grades we talked about was a four. Card structure, we give a point for starting hot with the top tag team and the company, Edge and Christian. They kind of pull them back together because they need them here. Uh, a point for closing with an all-time mega match. And again... We talked about there only being one title match, but we gave that point to Jeff Hardy and RVD for feeling extra special that they are the only title match on the night, and they get that spotlight. This is we have... There we go. Uh, WF winning three straight um, right off the bat. Um, just kind of took all the drama and tension out of the night as far as the you know the, the two-sidedness went. The two sides fighting against each other. Um, well, feels like yeah. a full squash as the show goes. Well, and it feels like you only get two paths now. It's like, all right, either WCW is obviously going to come back and tie it and win in the end, which they do, or DODF is going to run them out of the building. Like, like, there's no balance early to kind of keep you wondering, you know? Yeah, no back and forth at all. Um, we got the rough match. It takes away some of the seriousness and importance of, um, like, the, the brand supremacy, I guess you could say. Um, it, it's just goofy in general, having the two refs fight. Uh, the tag and cruiser rate matches don't have uh, either championship gold on the line, uh, despite champions being involved in those matches. Um, one of WCW's wins occurs on Sunday Night Heat and involves Chavo Guerrero um, and gets tacked on quietly. Didn't even mention it early. Know. It's like subtly, like, or uh, whoever's like, oh, it's three to one because on Heat, you know, like they don't even talk about it until it's like 3-0. Yeah. Um, 
why would why would Steve Austin wrestle that whole match, uh, the whole thirty five minutes or whatever, uh, and then do the turn at the end when the match could have ended at you know any time? Um, it's always tough to explain that kind of thing where like you wait till you know the very very end of the match where it's clear and obvious that you know this is the end and then do the turn. Um, and it's way too quick too to explain um, after you do the big turn with him and Vince at WrestleMania seventeen. So uh, we want minus two there because that's just, it's a big head scratcher. Once you factor in, you know, that 30 plus minute match that he wrestles on top of, you know, how close it is in proximity to WrestleMania 17 from what's going to be the previous It's one of season. my biggest pet peeves uh, in wrestling is that trope of like, the best one to do was the Wyndham. Um, one where like, when he joins, was it Wyndham or Luke? Yeah, Wyndham, right? When he turns and joins the horseman, like you're, you're thinking about it and it's like, do like he wasn't gonna do what he's thinking about during the match, and then finally turns right. Where it's like spontaneity, but when it's a plan, like do it right away. And there's been times that they have done that, like um, Cody Rhodes when he turns on Hardcore Holly and goes to DiBiase. Yeah. Like there's ones where they've done it where it just right away, just get it done. Why would he wrestle a half hour match and then hit when he did? When he has a move that could end it, so why not just do it out of the gate? Like it's it, it, if it's Survivor Series where it's elimination, it's one thing, right? But it's not. It's one fall. So why wouldn't he just turn right away? Why would he risk that whole match playing out a different way when he was going to turn anyway? And it was a big, you know, sneaky thing. So that always bothered me. Uh, it's tough to advocate taking Austin out of this match, but you could have done the fake injury aspect. Like he gets jumped before the match in the aisle and he's like crawling to the ring. He's laid out. Then he comes in at the end and turns, right? You could have done something like that. Would have made more sense. Um, the, the turn on the back of WrestleMania, I think, is valid, too. I mean, the only thing where you could say that helps is that we know he's obsessed with, like, the belt and being appreciated. So I guess, like, it's in character, right? He he did that. He went with Vince because he had to do – he sold a soul to keep the title. And now he went with the Alliance because he felt that Vince wasn't appreciating him, right? Like, we saw that at King of the Ring. So, But it is a lot, like, within three months for him. Um, so that's a negative three for card structure. Rewatchability, we give a point for Vince, uh, the, all the hype segments with the different competitors. He does the edge of Christian pose. He's doing the catchphrases with Jericho. Uh, we give a point for Paul Heyman's angry rant, hyping up Kidman, his pre-match speech, the coalition, Shane hyping up Booker. So basically a point each for the two hype sides. Uh, we give a point for Kidman hitting a nasty shooting star press, a point for RVD hitting all the signature spots for the first time ever under the pay-per-view, including a Van Daminator off the stage to the pit. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, that rocked. Um, in a minus category, we've got Christian uh, nearly avoiding death on a plancha to the outside. Uh, DDP still being obsessed with Sarah oh. and looks like a complete idiot. Um, and then uh, Bully Hardcore Holly beating up a WCW fan at WWF. Right on brand. And with the Alabama accent, woo, this one hit close to home for me <laughs> when he said, do you know where you're at, boy? <laughs> that yeah, was woo, uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit much. Right on brand, though, for him. Piece of shit. He's up a weakling. It's like, yeah. fuck off. Um, yeah. Yeah, the DDP thing is stupid, too. Like, he's in this main event. He's supposed to be a big part of the team. And he's like still obsessed with Undertaker's wife. Like it's just dumb. Um, yeah. So that's a one for rewatchability. Two all-time matches: uh, RVD and Jeff Hardy in the inaugural brawl. That's a plus two. Gives us a net score, Marcus, of a twenty for Invasion, two thousand and one. I will say, it felt a little low. 
I was a little surprised. I think I did not remember Cole in the booth for this show. Mm. And it's still so early into his commentary journey, I guess. Um, I think it really does hurt the show. And I think when you go back and look at our points, um, you know, that's, it's a wash, you know, it doesn't really contribute anything to the show. So um, especially when we've been cooking with Heyman and Jr. this season, um, I mean, you lose a handful of points right there that could have put this, I mean, if they, let's even give them five, you know, then we're talking in a, a different category. We're talking with King of the Ring that we just talked about. We're talking with NXT TakeOver Rival. Um, that would have put it above WrestleMania 32, which finished high for us. So um, it would have been in the you know top 15-ish kind of area between 15 and 20. Um, and instead, um, the show is going to finish 29. 29, yeah. So yeah, it's the a, it makes big, a big difference. The card structure is big. It has had a lot of negatives outweighing the positives in big spots. So that's your point. Um, yeah, I'm surprised. It's tied with Judgment Day 04. Uh, this is going to finish above it because it has the better match, which is RVD Jeff Hardy based on our scores over Eddie JBL. Um, but if you would have told me when we started this that Invasion and Judgment Day 04 would finish tied, I'd be pretty surprised, honestly. Um, you know, it's below Takeover Blackpool, below Backlash 04, below UK title tournament night one, below Survivor Series 04, which is shocking to me. Um, above brooklyn four so I, I don't know it's it's kind of a weird spot i guess i don't know i, I guess coming in i would have thought thought it would have been higher but put money on this being a top 20 show period in the project yeah. not just like from what we've yeah. done so far um but it's not even going to get that far um, maybe it may not be top 50 by the end probably is my i guess. don't think so yeah. yeah all right um so that'll do it for that we're going to get to our next show in a second here i just want to talk about if you're Digging RVD and uh, Taz and other talk here. Check out Extreme 308 Dance every other Thursday, rotating with this show on the Northside Connection. Myself, Jennifer Smith, and Matt Souza going through the history of ECW. We are in 1998. Uh, we're really just getting into Rob Van Dam's epic TV title run. So be sure to hop over and check that out. Alternates every other Thursday with this. So just check every Thursday. You either get this or Extreme 308 Dance. Those are both available on audio and video. So check it out. All right, let's head to... San Jose, California, the Compact Center, August 19th, 2001 for SummerSlam, 15,293 in attendance, 570,000 buys, Jim Ross and Paul Heyman back in the booth. I think they realized they needed Heyman. <laughs> uh, so they went ahead and said, okay, the Alliance needs fair and balanced commentary as part of this. So they're going to go ahead and get their guy in the booth as well. There was a big uh, positive move by the company. We had one quick heat match. It's a six-women tag. Jacqueline, Leader, Lita, and Molly Holly defeat Ivory, Stacey Keebler, and Tori Wilson uh, in under three minutes. And then that brings us into the show itself as Edge defeats Lance Storm to win the Intercontinental title in 11 minutes to kick off the show. Storm had won the IC title from Albert on TV. I think it was a good choice for like the key alliance upper mid-card guy. I liked them going with him. He had been in that role in ECW, was in that role in WCW where he had all the undercard titles. Um, so I think him coming in and immediately winning the IC belt was a good choice. It was time for Edge to finally kick off that solo push. We're done with Edge and Christian as a team. Pay off the King of the Ring win. 
by having him win the IC belt. I think this all made sense. You get Christian involved in the finish. He almost cost edge, whether it's on purpose or not. It's kind of lift to your decision. And went three and a quarter for the match itself. Yeah, it's um, it's cool to see them go back on track with where they were going with the edge um, push. And we've kind of seen them flirt with like breaking up the Hardy boys and now breaking up Edge and Christian um, and trying to maximize them as solo acts. Um, I went with a 3.25 as well. It's really cool to see Lance Storm. Um, he doesn't quite have the same pizzazz as he did with like Team Canada and that whole package in 2000 WCW, which I was a really huge fan of. Um, but he's a really good plug and play kind of player um, in the, the acquisition of a lot of the WCW talent. Uh, he fits right in. He fits, uh, fits like a glove. Um, so cool to see this match here between the two Canadians and uh, Edge picking up the Intercontinental title for the second time. Uh, that takes us to, I think, a forgotten match, at least mm. for me, um, in uh, the history of SummerSlam six-man tags. And, oh, I love uh, it. It's right, is... in that, right in that wheelhouse of classic SummerSlam six-mans. <laughs> I forget. I totally. I didn't forget about it. I forgot how good it was, though. Um, it is the APA and Little Spike Dudley taking on the Dudley Boys and Test, who recently joined the Alliance. I went with a score of three for this match, um, and for me, it was really on the back of the hot tag. Like once JBL comes in, it's it's a great hot tag, and uh, it really heats up towards the finish. Uh, they just they're firing on all cylinders. So three for me. I went two and three quarters. Test joining made sense. Like there's mm-hmm. there's turns that make sense in the in the invasion. There's a lot that don't make sense. Um, but he's always been Shane's guy. Like Test and Shane go back to '99. So like, why wouldn't he hook up with his buddy? Why wouldn't the boss bring in his boy? Like it made a lot of sense that he would jump ship. Um, we also this season has rekindled my Test theme song love. I forget how much I love that theme and what a banger it is. You know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm glad he still has it because I know eventually he gets away from it and goes to more of the heavier angry theme, but um, I was happy he still had it here. So two and three quarters for me. Uh, up next, we have a cruiserweight title match. Uh, it's actually a title merge with the light heavyweight and the cruiserweight title. So we have our cruiserweight champion, uh, Tajiri, taking on our light heavyweight champion, X-Pac. I believe it was a flip-flop like I forget who had what, but uh, those are the uh, X-Pac is cruiserweight to Jerry Light Heavyweight. Um, so they fight to merge the titles. X-Pac wins. We talked about this earlier. X-Pac winning on pay-per-view. I believe to Jerry wins the belt back the next night on TV. This is one of the ones that was referenced, I believe, uh, during that whole back and forth that was going on. Uh, I went three stars. Again, I thought it was good. I think it was a little disappointing, but they only gave him seven and a half minutes. So like, they're only going to get so much out of this. Um, I was hoping for a little bit more, though. Yeah, for a, a WWF style cruiserweight slash light heavyweight match, I mean, this was—I think this is one of the better ones you're going to find. Mm-hmm. Um, I went with a, uh, a score of three for this match as well. Wish it uh, would have been Kidman in this spot, but right. um, we'll take X Pac. Uh, a cool note, um, as we see, like the stakes kind of raised for the night. I really like that about this card. Um, as we get Chris Jericho taking on Rhino, and this one feels like a really deep kind of personal issue. Yeah. Because uh, we've got Stephanie McMahon in the mix here, and Rhino is kind of like her charge to go take out Jericho. Uh, and I went to three and a half. Um, it even flirted, I think, going a little bit higher, but I settled at three and a half. It's really cool to see Rhino, um, you know, being used in like an upper mid card style of match here with Jericho. Uh, these two absolutely deliver all of the goods. Um, like yeah, I liked everything about it. Um, you know, 
did not I could have I could have like kept watching. Um, I know they get a decent amount of time too, but this one was really good. Yeah, I agree. I went three and a half. It it surprised me with how good it was. Um, this is during the Jericho wearing lifts face. That was a big accusation. It's like Mickey and Seinfeld uh, heightening. Um, and he was slipping a lot on big moves. And that's why everyone was saying he was using lifts to try and look taller to justify getting a main event push. And he does it here. He slips on the lion's halt. And this is like peak, I remember. Like he was getting criticized for botching some moves because he looked like he was uncomfortable. Um, Stephanie is a big part of this, basically hinting that she's going to bang Rhino if he takes out Jericho. So that's all in play here. Uh, I liked this match a lot. I mean, you know, I, I, I probably would have Rhino go over, but I get trying to balance things and having the dirty upside get a big win too. So Jericho winning clean with the walls like works well. So three and a half for me. Yeah, very good match. All right, back to the hardcore division we go for a rematch with Raw Van Dam and Jeff Hardy, this time at a ladder match. I went four and a quarter. Um, I was a little bit lower this time watching it. I thought it was very good. I just didn't like it as much as Invasion this time. I thought Invasion felt really grittier, harder hitting, nastier. This felt a little bit more of what I didn't want to see in Invasion, which is a little bit more dirty up polished, like the typical ladder spots kind of looked a little more, I don't say choreographed, but like prepared in spots whereas invasion felt like two guys I had never talked before just going out and having a fucking crazy match this felt a little bit more like okay a standard duty of ladder match and it's still great i went four and a quarter um but i always in my mind thought this one was better but i actually liked invasion a lot better this time around yeah, um i originally thought i was going to settle around where you did four and a quarter but as the match went on i just like had a much better appreciation than I anticipated um, for like the brutality in this match. Um, the spots are definitely like more choreographed than um, uh, invasion. Like not everything is as natural feeling, but I mean, they, they do some crazy stuff here. That's, that's pretty brutal. Um, and they take some, some like spots off the ladder that are like unplanned. Um, just like, call it on the fly. Just really dangerous stuff. The, the audacity <laughs> for them to try to do where Jeff Hardy's swinging from the belt at RVD to jump up and try to like spin kick him off the top rope. It misses by half a mile, but I, I thought for a second, maybe they're going to be able to pull it off. Um, so I went 4.75 as well, because um, I thought given kind of almost the handicap of having the ladder there, um, they were still really creative and it still felt to me just super fresh. And I, I just think I'm going to trend higher on Van Dam. Uh, during this time period as well, because uh, I'm a little bit of an RVD homer. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, I love RVD. I've loved his ECW stuff. I've been high on all that. And again, this is great. I mean, he's had two pay-per-view matches, four and a half, four and a quarter for me. So <laughs> strong, strong out the gate for sure for Van Dam. Yeah. Um, we're going to transition to uh, another gimmick type of match, and it is uh, another t- title unification. Uh, um, is it? No. Yeah. It is okay. I I thought it got unified at, at a Survivor Series, but no, um, uh, I think they unify them, but then they they split they, them back. Okay, um, but this is for both sets of titles, and it's actually but, Kane yeah. and Undertaker are the WCW Tag Champions, and DDP yeah. and Canyon are the. This is where the titles get all between Invasion, and then it starts right after that. Like the titles get all convoluted; they're traded all over the place. The lineage is a disaster. Yeah, it's a mess. Um, Canyon and Undertaker, or Canyon and Undertaker, are going to pick up the win. Uh, Canyon is going to uh, escape um, by, uh, I guess, uh, defensive indifference, and uh, <laughs> DDP is going to take the last ride uh, and take the pinfall loss in this one. Uh, I went two point two five. I know this match has like a tough reputation as being pretty bad, but um, wasn't as bad as I thought. I just think it 
it hurts when watching the show is in full that it follows uh, Jeff Hardy and RVD. I went two and a quarter as well. I don't think it's like the all time stinker that it's made out to be, but I think it's an all time shit booking. Like it works because DDP and Kane are entertaining bouncing around, but this is like the, the peak taker Kane bad reputation stretch. Like for taker, it started in 2000 has carried along. But this to me is, I remember the most backlash against him was like this stretch here when he was still in the main event scene in the spring. And now he's destroying DDP and Canyon in this match. Um, it is like, it felt like a squash that didn't need to be a squash. You know, it's just unnecessary, complete destruction. And it just felt like, okay, of course, the WWF guys are going to be the WWF guys. Like, it just felt like that kind of match because everyone was already on edge that the WWF was just doing this to completely destroy WCW. So then to see like two guys, kind of top guys at the end get completely waxed in the cage. Even if the story, you could argue, warranted it with the Sarah stuff, I guess. But um, I don't know. It just felt unnecessary to make it that big of a beating. Again, the match is entertaining if you take away that in-the-moment personal feelings on the booking. Yeah, and I think, look at like who they're bringing into the match as well. Like This is supposed to be a DDP and Undertaker feud, and it's supposed to mm-hmm. blow off here. But over the course of it, they bring in Kane, uh, who's like... I think it like a, a good probably like his prime. I think if you look at it from like 2000 to, to 2002, 2003, like he's in the middle of that here. Um, and Canyon who like is a bit of a IW, uh, IWC darling, but like it's justified. Um, and he's in here to kind of like take bumps. Um, so I think like bringing Canyon into this, because now you're also like burying Canyon on top of just burying DDP uh-huh. and being done with it. And then you're, Dragon Kane and Undertaker's like stinky booking. Um, I th- I think that hurts the reputation of it as as well. All right, up next is one of my favorite all time matches. I know we talked about. It. I think I had it. I have to look. I don't know if it's inside the top ten or so on my all time greatest matches list. That is Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, losing by disqualification to Kurt Angle. Uh, the have titles on the line. I went five stars on this. It is a fucking war. It's one of my. All-time, all-time, all-time favorite matches with two of my all-time favorites. It is brutal. It is bloody. Um, the attack on Angle's neck and head is, like, sick. When Austin's just thumping his head off the post is, like, disgusting. I love the build. There was a background for these guys with their awkward relationship with Vince earlier in the summer. Angle is, like, the charismatic, goofy, lovable top face. Austin is a paranoid heel. And the chemistry is top-notch. Uh, it felt like a spot where Angle probably should win the title. But once it was next to last, I figured they weren't going that route. They obviously wanted to set up a rematch, which is fine. Um, the only thing I don't like about it is the finish with the multiple refs coming in and they finally just call it. I would have preferred if they just had Austin just like snap and grab a chair and beat the shit out of him. Or the Alliance all runs in and we get like a classic NWO fuck finish type thing. Um, the like taking out the refs back and forth, like to me, felt like a little gratuitous. But it's very nitpicking because it still works within the story. They gave him 22 minutes, um, and I could watch that 22 minutes all day. Just one of my all-time favorite matches in company history, in wrestling history. This match is such a good example of how far good punches can take you. Mm-hmm. Um, they do like the the rolling German suplexes um, from Angle to Austin. They do a superplex, I believe. And outside of that, I think there's a little bit of limb work by Austin. Like outside of that, this match has got to be like 60% punches. Um, And it fits. It's so personal. This for my money is the most intense match um, I've ever seen like two guys be. 
Um, I don't think that any other traditional style pro wrestling match has the intensity that this match does mm-hmm. uh, that both of these guys bring. And um, it helps, you know, Kurt Angle is a bit of a psycho and uh, Austin's just so good naturally at that. So um, I don't have an official list, but if I had to guess, this is going to be my top 10 company matches as well. Uh, full five for me. And Jared um, and wish... are awesome are awesome in it too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right up their alley. Um, it just brutal. Yeah, it, it's, it's brutal. It's a, a different kind of brutality than, um, angle and Shane McMahon from King of the ring. But, um, yeah, and, and I think, it, I mean, match. Austin's a one is sick. I mean, he's got so many amazing matches. Um, but this to me, I think is, is my favorite of that. He does like, it's, it's so good. Um, everything about it. And I think it's probably my favorite match we've watched for this project so far of the 80 ish or whatever pay-per-views we've done. I've had other fives, but I think this is probably my favorite so far. I'd have to look back at every one we did. If we were to do a tier ranking of uh, our, our uh, all time matches of the season. I'm trying to think what's even close. I guess Kurt and Shane. I think so. I mean, Walter, was it Walter Pete Dunn in this one that we liked a lot? We did. I don't know if I went full five, but I know we liked it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I like Cactus Triple H, but I like this a lot better. Yeah, I mean, this is probably my favorite match we've done. All right. Um, that takes us to our main event of the evening. It is for the WCW title, as Booker T is going to lose his title to the returning Dwayne of the Rock Johnson, uh, fresh off of Scorpion King, I believe. Um, the, um No. I think the uh the mummy wasn't it? This mummy two filming. Well, mummy two was out. Yes, he's fresh off filming Scorpion King. Yeah, fresh, fresh yeah. off filming Scorpion King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that comes out um, too, I think. But the mummy, mummy returns had already aired. Yes. Um, I went three and a half. Um, yeah, pretty solid. Built to a good finish. Um, it's just again, it's tough having to follow Angle and Austin. Um, but, you know, given the finish of that match and the finish of this match, this match kind of had to close the show. And it's a, it's a good spot to show the WCW title is also like uh-huh. big deal. I don't know yeah. if it's, it's equal, but it is a, a big deal and it's uh, capable to close out shows. So three and a half for me. I went three and a half too. It's a fun match. It's actually kind of a low key dream match because I remember people at, like in WCW Booker felt like the next rock a little bit. He kind of had the spinner Rudy, which is the people's elbow. He was doing the bookend, which is like the rock bottom, kind of a similar build. Um, so it felt a little bit like, Oh, like this is like a natural rivalry between these two guys, both good talkers. It felt like it could have been a match. So I think it actually works well. It makes Booker feel like a big deal. Main event to like a SummerSlam. So I don't mind it closing. Um, you know, it's just that angle lost and it's ended up being an all time classic. So you probably could have closed with it, but with the finishes, the Rock standing tall, the WCW title probably made sense. Rock's got that. Of course, Austin has a WF title. Like, so here we are with the two WF legends with the two belts at the end of the show. Um, but that gives us a total war score uh, match grades of eight. So that is top end in-ring quality for us here wow. in war. So that's an all-timer. Um, all right, let's get to our, our categories. We've got a lot to go through. Uh, for build, we give two points for let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. All-time um, pay-per-view theme ends up being the Alliance theme song as well. Uh, just when you think of the show, that's what you think of. Is the I think of the light blue and green color scheme and the let the bodies hit the floor all yeah. through it. Um, so two points for that. A point for Lance Storm winning the IC title. 
uh, and all the different shenanigans he was trying to attack with Edge. Uh, a point for Test defecting all the mistrust. Uh, tips back to his friendship with Shane. He ends up costing the APA the tag titles. A uh, point for the Spike and Molly angle. We hadn't talked too much about that, but that was ongoing during all this. Um, and Molly ends up turning on him to join the Alliance uh, after we had spent the whole summer with them having the secret affair with the Dullies versus the Hollies and all that uh, going on. So um, that gets a point. We gave a point for Jericho and Steph's rivalry intensifying. She uses Rhino to wreck him. Rhino gores Jericho through the SmackDown set that destroys the SmackDown set and uh, end of the era, I believe, for the Ovaltron, right? On that one? Yeah, that's they end up it. doing the yep. fifth debuts after that. So mm-hmm. end of an era for that. Uh, Jeff Hardy winning the hardcore title back on Raw from RVD. So that gave it a rubber match feel here at SummerSlam. Uh, a point for Angle becoming the new WF Top Gun to battle against Austin. A point for Austin's turn get explained as he wants to be loved, uh, but deep meaning of afraid to be replaced and the title being taken devolved into madness as a result. So this is a guy that feels his grip loosening uh, and he needed to be feel loved by a, a company that wanted to bring him in and needed him just as much. And a point for Rock returning uh, a perfect dream match for you for Booker. So a lot of really good build here. Yeah, again, that dream match is kind of cool because usually with wrestling, we get dream matches like years after the fact. But I mean, this one's, you know, pretty close to being on time. So that, that was cool. Uh, for the minuses, uh, no real build to the cruiser unification. I mean, they probably only got, like, you know, four cruiserweights, anyways. Um, they've got Saturn devolved into a sideshow uh, with the moppy stuff. Oh, yeah. um, ongoing DDP and Sarah nonsense. Uh, thankfully, we wrap that up here. Um, DDP turning full obsessed stalker. Uh, convoluted cross promotion belt swapping in the uh, tag division, like you pointed out. Yeah, everything's all over the place. All right, so plus six for the build. Very good build. Uh, we gave three points on commentary for Jim Ross and Paul Heyman bickering all night about the invasion. Uh, a point for Heyman, great hyping Rhino throughout the night. He loves Rhino. A point for Heyman, giving the insights into RVD and what makes him tick. A point for JR, laying out all of Taker's cage match destruction of the past to set up the tag team cage. And a point for JR and Heyman, just being completely on fire uh, during Austin and Angle. Yep, and uh, no minuses. No minuses. That, that might be a first <laughs> for us. I, I think we had another one. Um... Let me see if I can see real quick. Um, no minuses for Judgment Day 01 uh, from Heyman and uh, and Ross. So that's two there you go. this season. That made, that's probably our best commentary team. Then that we've, well, we've had Gorilla and Bobby, so I guess it's tough to say. But uh, they've been great, Jaron Heyman. So it's a plus seven for commentary. That is big when you're starting to look at you know where this could finish to grab seven points on commentary. Uh, All right, notable moments. Uh, I'm sorry, no, atmosphere. A point for the big pop for Chris Jericho. A point for the big reaction for Jeff Hardy. A point for the crowd being so in RVD and Hardy all match. Big pops are the big spots. A point for the big reaction to Taker and Kane. A point for Kurt Angle's pop. A point for the God pop for The Rock. Uh, A point for all the memorable merchandise and gear, too, like just some classic SummerSlam gear, some classic SummerSlam merch. Uh, And a point for the separate entrances, again, adding to the two sides vibe that's going on here. Uh, for our minuses, we've got the crowd not being happy with uh, the loss uh, by Tajiri. Uh, we've got, sadly, Austin's weird heel music. Um, it just sounds like you're driving like an ATV or something. Um, and it's just, uh, specifically designed to crush like any crowd pops, which is really sad. Um, and then the crowd being pissed at the Austin DQ after that fantastic match. But for me, the big standout there is the uh, the change in theme music. Like, I don't mind the Austin yeah. like ATV style music, but it's such a downgrade. Um, yeah, they needed disturbed. to 
I think they really needed to just try and quell the pop that he was getting every time to really solidify the heel turn. But yes, to your point, it's like, it's just not him. Disturbed just... could have stayed, you know, you could have just got rid of the glass breaking and kept it because it was still like an angry theme. But And he used it as a heel. But they just really wanted him to get booed now by this point. You talk about like an all-time worker in the company. Like, just let the work speak for itself, you know? Yeah. Let let people enjoy him coming out for two minutes and then, you know, boom for everything he does. All right, so that's a five for atmosphere. Notable moments, we give a point for Edge winning the Intercontinental title, a point for X-Pac unifying the light heavyweight and cruiserweight titles. A big point here for Stephanie uh, debuting the the bombs. Uh, this is right after the first paper after her uh, breast augmentation surgery, um, where they were really on display. It becomes part of the storyline. Jericho references them and points it out. So I guess a point for that. A uh, point for RVD winning the hardcore title, a point for Canyon making his pay-per-view debut, and a point for The Rock winning the WCW title. Yeah, big um, two two uh, huge debuts for the uh, the Alliance, the three. new team members there. Well, three, really. Uh, we've got uh, X-Pac beating uh, Red Hot Tajiri. Uh, nobody's happy about that. Uh, Taker and Kane squashing DDP and Canyon to uh, take all the tag title gold. All right, so that's a plus four for moments. We already have the plus eight for match grades. Card structure, we give a point for starting hot with the title change, a point for the traditional classic six-man SummerSlam-style match, and a point for closing with the back-to-back title matches and the feel-good moment. It was a good structure to cap it off. For our minuses, we got uh, X-Pac, once again, being set up to fail. Uh, team WF, um, uh, he's, team, he's on Team WWF, but he's being booed um, and put mm-hmm. over. Um, but he's a WWF guy. Um, also an angle. Um, it's a tough approach with the DQ, uh, given the building presentation of that match. They should have just done a title change, like you talked about. Um, makes sense with an alliance ref and Nick Patrick uh, screwing Kurt Angle, um, but still wild to do a no contest. Um, or still wild to do the DQ. They could have done a no contest, yeah. you know, because they're fighting so much. You could have thrown out the match right. um, or done a double knockout or something uh, to get to a non finish. Um, no real war strategy. It's just kind of both sides, like exchanging wins and losses. Um, yeah. and nothing really feels different. It's just, you know, the same guys winning. Like you said, like it's still Taker Austin, King, still rock, still Jericho, Austin, rock, still right. it, yeah, it's all the guys that were winning in April are winning now. Like, what is the strategy? What are we trying to gain? That's my biggest issue with the Alliance long-term. Like, what is their goal and concept? We hear about it, but we don't really see it in presence. Like, what are they trying to do? Uh, how are they going to take? control the company by winning you know beating scotty too hotty like what's the point like there had to be some kind of main goal that was never attempted to be accomplished so yeah um all right so that's a zero wash for card structure rewatchability point for test with the nasty throw of spike through a table to the floor just a sick bump uh, a point for shane hitting the classic flying chair shot during the six man uh, a point for St- Sean Stasiak's promo, where he says, I don't even know what Mecca means uh, with his tights. A, a point for Jericho breaking out the old school walls on Rhino, where he really wrenched his neck back. A point for RVD doing a superplex with the ladder. Uh, a point for Shane giving Booker bookends. It's perfect for all your books. <laughs> and uh, the big bromance moment between the two of them on the back. Stasiak uh, picks up an unexpected second point when he keeps trying to attack people and they move and he runs into things, uh, which is a pretty memorable piece of this night. Uh, a point for the bloody Kurt Angle ankle lock on the barricade and a point for the disgusting clothesline from hell that just destroys Shane in the main event. Just payback for their chair shot. He just fuck, Bradshaw crushes him. One so of a the lot, early, of, lot of rewatchable moments. 
one of the early like viral moments of WWF. It's like I remember they played that on TV mm-hmm. so much. Just the, bam! It's such a good moment. Yeah. Uh, Shane absolutely eats it. Uh, for our minuses, we've got the long masturbatory beatdown of uh, of Undertaker being a bully towards uh, the stalker DDP. Uh. Um, all the head and neck based attack uh, for all an angle. It's tough knowing their future is like, this is another match. You feel mm-hmm. like you're seeing years taken off of yeah. a career and quality of life as well. Um, this whole run feels like it's as amazing as it is. It's like, would you trade it in if we could get more years out of Austin? Because he just right. completely goes all out and destroying his neck <laughs> this year. It's, it's a true yeah. emptying of the tank. Yeah. Yeah, and Angle's right there with him. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So it is rough, like between the concussions and the broken necks between the two of them. It's it's a little rough to watch. Uh, so plus seven, though, for rewatchability. So it's got that. And then we got plus two for all-time matches. You get RVD Hardy, Austin Angle. So, Marcus, with that brings us our final score. And I am happy to announce here tonight so we have a new number one all-time show. And that is SummerSlam 2001 with 39 points. That How about it? Barely edges out two other SummerSlams. SummerSlam 1992 and 1999, both tied with 38 and a quarter. Um, we have five, our top five shows have four SummerSlams in them. SummerSlam 2015, 35 and a quarter. And then it's Rumble 2005 with 36 and a half. And then those top three SummerSlams. So pretty interesting to me that of our five shows of the seasons we've done, Four of our top five, you know, SummerSlam is the best show in that season. So, pretty cool. Yeah, there's something about SummerSlam. Um, it's, it's hitting the spot for us so far in the project. And I'm curious to see if this is going to be a trend or if we're just, like, kind of got an anomaly of, like, three really hot SummerSlams um, or really four. Um, well, we've done seven SummerSlams so far because we did two NXT seasons, obviously. So, we've done seven SummerSlams. Four are, were the best show of that year in our, in our top five. I mean, then we have SummerSlam 11, which is our 21st best show. And then, you know, we have obviously like 04 and 94 toward the bottom. But... High praise. So, pretty cool. All right. Well, that'll do it for us here tonight. It was a, uh, I mean, it's always good when you get to talk all time shows. It's been a great season so far. We've had a bunch of classics to talk about. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll talk Unforgiven and No Mercy. We'll see where if they can keep the momentum. The fall is usually a dip for the company, so we'll see if they keep it going. Uh, excited to talk about that. Sure to talk everything else in North South Connection. We appreciate your patronage. It's, uh, continue to leave comments, like our stuff, share it. Um, and like I said, subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. We'd appreciate it. Continue to live your life above replacement level. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Yeah!